The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. Interested in registering for the Forum's 2022 annual conference? Plan ahead. Get your pre-registrations and questions in before we go on holiday break. We're encouraging all who hope to use 2021 funds before they're gone to plan ahead and pre-register. Our last day to assist with questions about pre-registration will be December 23rd, 2021. The office will open again on January 4th, 2022. You can still register during that time. However, there won't be anyone in the office to answer your questions in a timely manner. Register at forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash 2022. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash 2022. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, Hiring Revolution, with Trina C. Olson and Alfonso T. Winker of Teen Dynamics. During this podcast, Teen Dynamics co-founders Trina C. Olson and Alfonso T. Wenker lay out the six-part process outlined in their forthcoming book, Hiring Revolution, a guide to disrupt racism and sexism in hiring. They'll share what they have done to find and hire teams of people that are incredibly diverse across race, gender identity, sexual orientation, religious tradition, age, ability, ethnicity, immigration experience, and more. Hiring Revolution is an invitation to stop, start, do more, do less of, and do differently. It is a purposefully tactical approach to hiring the team you claim you want. Through a thoughtful reimagining of team building, you will begin the process of reckoning with all the times and places where your hiring intent find the best, most qualified workers that ultimately match your impact, inadvertently convincing yourself that white male workers were the best choice. The session explores small, medium, and large shifts that can transform your hiring practices toward a more equitable way of doing business. The session does not spend time pointing out everything done wrong in hiring days past. The Hiring Revolution session will identify specific problems and pair each with a viable solution you can start implementing today. After this podcast, listeners will be able to understand how current hiring best practice produces racist and sexist results, learn new tools to disrupt individual and group race-slash-gender bias when hiring, and explore a revolutionized approach to hiring to truly achieve your race-slash-gender hiring diversity goals. Trina Olson is the next guiding voice in the conversation about the future of work and equitable work culture. CEO and co-founder of Teen Dynamics, Trina believes going to work in America can feel fundamentally different if, and only if, we deal with the impacts of racism and sexism. After the murder of George Floyd, Trina crafted a curriculum for white leaders, including the staff of Senator Bernie Sanders, to process and plan without burdening POC colleagues. For the past 25 years, Trina has 
held key leadership roles around the country in New York, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Los Angeles. A two-time executive director, she has lobbied the White House, raised millions of dollars, and effectively mobilized for major progressive policy and cultural change. Trina has authored numerous pieces on race and, and gender issues, including Seeking a Safe Haven, LGBTQ People and the American Immigration Experience, as a co-author. She's a co-host of the Behave podcast and a highly sought-after work equity advisor. Alfonso Winker is a lauded movement and thought leader driven to convene, connect, and coach top executives to better align values with practice. President and co-founder of Teen Dynamics, Alfonso is focused on organizing teams to create new paradigms for how people can work and lead. As a third-generation Mexican-American queer Christian man living in Minneapolis, Alfonso consistently gathers and responds to communities calling for racial justice and gender liberation. Before Team Dynamics, Alfonso spent more than a decade in the field of philanthropy, where he worked tirelessly to advance racial and LGBTQ justice while creating new opportunities for people of color to break into and lead in the field. Alfonso's work has been recognized as a Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Minnesota Nonprofit Catalytic Leader and St. Paul Foundation's Facing Race Anti-Racism Awardee. Alfonso and Trina, thank you both so much for coming back. You are truly friends of the forum, and it's always so great to talk to you both. Yeah, thanks for having us back, Ben. We're, we're excited to dig in again with you. Yeah, great that, to be here. Yes, uh, and first of all, congratulations on the new book. How's that going? It's going really well. We launched Hiring Revolution, a guide to disrupt racism and sexism in hiring at the end of October. We had a great Minneapolis launch. We've been doing a ton of digital promotion all around the country. Um, earlier this month, we hosted about 100 people for a live book reading. So um, lots of folks are getting excited about the book and we are looking forward to all of the engagements we have lined up in 2022 to support anyone and everyone who's doing hiring and wants to do it differently. Um, well, you asked how it was going, and I would just say, I would just say, um, you know, it's been a really vulnerable and exciting process for Alfonso and I to share as many stories as we share in the book about how we've experienced our careers, what it has been like to be people who hire, um, and for folks who are getting to know us for the first time since this is an audio medium. I'm white. Alfonso's a person of color. I'm a cisgendered woman, he's a cisgendered man. So um, to really get to be in dialogue with folks about the substance of the book is really exciting. And I also just wanna make sure folks know there is an e-reader and audiobook version available too. So as we think about inclusion and the fact that people like to receive their learning from a bunch of different modalities, we made sure hardcover, e-reader and audio are all available. That's so great. And yes, it's um, inclusivity is what we're all here about, right? <laughs> but let's jump on in. Um, so what inspired you to write this book in the first place? So I like to tell people that we did not really set out necessarily to be authors. And I think if you would have asked us what what would be the topic of your first book together, hiring would not have been at the top of the list. It may have been in like the top 10 
but I think we probably would have wanted to talk generally about workplace culture or maybe gender. Gender is kind of a passion topic for us. We've been on this podcast before talking about gender, but one of the questions we get as a national strategy firm working specifically on race and gender equity with our clients is how do we diversify our search? I don't think any anyone on our team could name a client that hasn't asked that question. So people are pretty regularly hiring, right? And right now we're in this big conversation about who's available to work and we might have some old ideas about who's qualified. So people are just constantly asking, how do we diversify our search? And honestly, we were getting frustrated because we kept having to kind of patchwork our answer together based on different ideas, anecdotes, things that we tried, ways that we're hiring at Team Dynamics. And so we said, we've got to just put this in one place. Let's let's write it down. Um, and the thing about Trina and I is we've both hired more than people our age or at the point in our career normally would have because of the kinds of jobs we've had. So Trina, you've been in canvassing and political work. So that just means you're hiring a big team every election season. And for me, I ran a fellowship program where we would get over a hundred applications to fill about four to six jobs every year for about five years. So we just have all these stories and all these tools and ways that we've tried to get out of the traditional approach or what has been quote best practice. So people were just asking, how do we diversify our search? And we said the volume, the number of people asking this question exceeds our ability to have one-to-one conversations. Yeah, especially now with the, the with the labor shortage, I use quotes because I think there wouldn't be a shortage if people were just paid adequately. Anyways, but with ha- with what's going on with the you know what you know, everyone's looking for employees and looking for different a- avenues to get these employees because there there is this shortage right now. So it's really great that you put this all in one handy place for employers and people who are doing hiring. Yeah, the, the timing is feeling really fascinating because Alfonso and I started writing in 2019, right? Yeah. And then all hell kind of broke loose from a bunch of different angles. So the COVID-19 global pandemic, the murder of George Floyd and subsequent uprisings. It's interesting, Ben, that you mentioned the, the worker shortage, right? Because so much churn has happened across industry and it's really predictable by identity and now it's bared out in the data who got shoved out of the workforce first right yeah. who was it, who was in low wage or low low paid jobs um who were sort of last hired first fired and so we look at people of color um folks for whom uh immigration as part of their story and women, especially women with children, especially women with children who are of color, right? Got summarily sort of shoved out of the workforce. And just a couple of weeks ago, Alfonso and I interviewed somebody um, who comes out of the Harvard Business School on our podcast, Behave, about the quote unquote worker shortage. So I love that you put it in quotes because 
it's it's just not true. There are a ton of folks who are ready, willing, and able to work. And because of the Byzantine filters people are using to hire, they're missing each other. Yes. So the companies and organizations that want workers and the workers that want to be at companies, they're missing each other. And so our hope with the book is to give people truly like a field guide. It is a step-by-step how-to. It's not wondering about the problem. It's here are things you can do this week to make adjustments so that you're sure you can find top talent. That's great. And I mean, there have been a lot of advancements in, D <clears throat> in DEI, but we know there's still some pervasive problems. What particular problems are you addressing in, the, in this book, in the writing? Yeah, it's a great question. So what the book afforded us the opportunity to do was to go really deep on modern place, uh, on modern workplace data. So like you're saying, Ben, a lot of the disparities have been decades, if not centuries long. So they just kind of feel like it is what it is. We wanted to make sure that we were grasping onto the most current realities for workers. And so part one of Hiring Revolution does a deep dive into the problems we need to solve so that we understand the actions we need to take. And the best adjective we found to describe the pace of change in terms of um, race and gender inequities in hiring is glacial. <laughs> so things are so slow and they are not just magically getting better. In fact, as we know, right, systems of racism and misogyny reinforce each other until there is major interruption. So I'll share with your listeners sort of three statistics that um, knocked Alfonso and I down for a little bit just because it was a lot to absorb, but I think really helps kind of light a fire and give us courage to do something differently. The first is that in modern day workforces, it is still the truth that people of color are twice as likely to have their resume or application move forward in a process if they whiten their materials, meaning leave off clubs and uh, other affiliations that are really valuable, maybe even change name or address so that it feels less sort of signifying of a cultural community. And so right now, again, imagine identical resumes. So the same amount of prepared, just because somebody makes an assumption that somebody is a person of color, they are 50% then less likely to move on to the next round. So resume racism is alive and well right now. The second stat that is just rough, right, is when we think about not just hiring into organizations or industries, but hiring into leadership. So think C-suites, right? CEOs, CFOs, CTOs, right? All the folks who are really driving and making decisions. If we just look at the Fortune 500, one out of 500 leaders are Black women. Right. So when we think about how off the mix of leadership is, whether you think boards of directors, C-suites, managers, this idea, too, that diversification is happening in a way where it's really about the lowest ranks of organizations seeing more diversification and the upper ranks still staying incredibly white and incredibly male. 
And then the third stat is a, a date. So it's the year 2224. I don't know about you, I plan on being long gone <laughs> by then, <laughs> right? But um, this date really stood out to me. And when I first read it as a number, it was even hard for me to sort of imagine that far into the future. We are eight generations away from Latinx women being paid on par with white men. So when we think about the exacerbating factors of race and gender, um, people are not getting equal pay for equal work, even though it's been the law for decades. So again, this is also sort of that call that just because the rules, quote unquote, have changed doesn't mean culture has changed with it to make the impact that those rules are designed to make. So those were three of the stats that that stood out to me. I don't know, Alfonso, if you want to add anything about what it was like to just sort of roll around in some of that modern data. I mean, I think it what the first part of the book did for me was just remember that there are a lot of people who are going to need to make the case. So what we tried to do is just make it really accessible, pair it back to just a handful of pieces of data um, so that people who needed to convince an HR leader or a hiring manager that, that, that things still are bad, even though we might have a diversity statement or commitment, um, that the data doesn't necessarily show the progress that maybe we think we're making. Thank you for that. And there is a lot of statement making and intention sharing when it comes to diversity and hiring, but how do individual contributors to a hiring process actually catch themselves and change with those behaviors? Oh, I love that question because there is a lot that we can do, right, as individual participants. And so, inside the book we've created more than 20 tools because we know a lot of us do better when we have a roadmap or a framework or a checklist right or a mantra or an acronym so we tried to make sure that folks could really put their hands on something that would help and so there are two tools in particular that help folks slow down to really notice the race and gender programming and then therefore the bias that has been built in to traditional hiring practices. So the first is called investigate your instincts. And there's a whole section in the book where we sort of disentangle the conversations that are kind of messy right now about like intuition and fit and who feels good to be around and how we've all been programmed about whose bodies to be afraid of and whose bodies to feel close to and whose bodies we imagine and don't imagine when we think about somebody being great at a particular job. So um, we walk through precisely, nope, we move through precisely how to do the work of still trusting yourself, but beginning to investigate your instincts as a regular practice. Because the question for all of us isn't if we have biased thinking and behavior, it's how our biased thinking and behavior is showing up related to our goals. And then the second tool um, that I think gets to your question, we call notice, name, and navigate. So right now, a whole lot of what is going wrong or kind of going sideways in hiring is folks are failing to notice how identity is relevant from the beginning to the end of a hiring process. 
So way too often folks are waiting until like the interview phase to start really digging in on issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism and more. And we make the case that at the very, very beginning, even in the planning stages of getting ready to put a job description out in the world and start recruiting applicants, we have to thread and embed the ways that identity is constantly relevant in every facet of a hiring process. So investigate your instincts and notice name navigate are two of the tools that are um, available inside the book that are going to help us do that interruption work so that we aren't just going with a flow that has outcomes we feel bad about. Awesome. Those sounds like sound like great tools. And what kind of planning does a hiring team need to start implementing the to start implementing the hiring revolution? So the plan is almost as important as the job description and the questions that you ask, because part of, you know, when I said earlier, Ben, that we were getting irritated by the question, oftentimes the question about how to diversify the search is coming once the job is posted. And that's almost way too late because everything about the planning and the posting has implications for your ability to um, recruit and retain women, people of color and trans people. And so we came up with an acronym based on four key planning elements. Some of your listeners might be familiar with the competition show RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, it is a, for folks who don't know, RuPaul's Drag Race is a now internationally known um, cont uh, contest of drag performers trying to be crowned the sort of next drag all-star. And it's quite popular here in the U.S. In, um, and the U.K. And in, and in the U.K. and Australia. France and Mexico and Canada. By Thailand, the way, I not, think. Yeah, uh, Thailand. Yeah. We are not sponsored by RuPaul's Drag Race. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Universal. I know who they're on. Are they on VH1? Paramount Plus? Maybe they're Paramount Plus. Uh, whoever they're on, you should consider sponsoring us. Anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, we were sketching out the different, the four parts of the planning phase, and they happened to be the letters RPDR, which is how people talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. So RPDR is how we plan for the hiring revolution. So the first thing we have to do is recognize our biases and our assumptions. So before we put pen to paper on the job description or the duties we need someone to do or what kinds of training or experiences someone will have had or the questions we want to ask them, we have to pause and ask ourselves, what are the biases and assumptions that I currently have? We all want to assume, like Trina was saying, that we don't, but we know that we have some preferences for whiteness and masculinity that actually get in our way. So try to sketch those out and we give you some tools for doing that in the book. So that's R, recognize. The second element of the plan is P, post. So as you think about posting for the job, we've got to get really, really precise about who we're wanting. So oftentimes that means starting with a blank slate, starting with a blank piece of paper. Too often we go back to boilerplate or templated job descriptions that likely don't help us get the exact kind of person that we're looking for. So can we make a list of precisely who it is the kind of person, the kinds of experiences that would add value and would be relevant to the work that we're at hand. So that's P, post. 
The third element is really a, is about diversity. And you could think, well, the whole book is about diversity. So why is there this special moment in a chapter uh, in planning about diversity? And that's the moment when you actually set some tangible and specific goals. So we talk about diversity as mix a lot in the book. So we invite the reader to really ask, what is the current mix of our team when it comes to race, when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexual orientation and more? and then decide what's missing and how would what's how would the inclusion of missing identity groups benefit, improve, change, create more innovation on our team. So really having some reasons behind those goals and then coming up with a structure to track the diversity of your candidates at every stage. So whether you're doing an online application or people are submitting some sort of form to the first round of let's say phone screens and maybe your third round and you're doing an in-person interview or in, in our current life, a Zoom interview, right? Let's say those are your three stages. What structure is going to allow you to capture the demographics of your candidate pool while still following the law? So in a lot of cases, that means an anonymous survey that is disconnected from a candidate's name. Because if you set a goal and you wait all the way until you have your last two people that you wanna offer a job to and you go, oh my gosh, we're not even close to our diversity goals. There was, there was a problem upstream. It wasn't just in that final round. So D, that third part of planning is the diversity goals and then a plan for tracking. The fourth is our relationships. And for a lot of people, this is where the bulk of the planning work really has to go in because we're likely recruiting in an identity group, in a community that we're not a part of, especially if we're saying X, Y, and Z aren't present on our team. I'm probably not one of those things and I may not be a participant in that community. And so how can I build authentic trust in communities and be proactive about getting referrals? So really working smarter, not harder. So. RPDR, recognize post diversity and relationships, all things that we want to map out before we even write a job description or think about what are the aspects of the interview process. Wow, that is so awesome and so true. Like, you really don't think about it. You like it starts at the beginning. Like we're thinking about, you know, if we want diverse candidates, we have to like how are we going to describe this? Um, so and and I love the the RuPaul's Drag Race analogy. I think that's that's very on brand for you, Alfonso. <laughs> and. Um, well, and we'll, we'll see if they come for us. Well. <laughs> I was also going to say RuPaul's Drag Race, please don't sue. Um, please sponsor, don't sue. Um, but moving right along, in describing the book, the cover says the revolution is about how to start, stop, do more, do less, and do differently. What are some of the things you're inviting us all to try? Because that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so the book is full of all of those things, and, and we're going to have to do a little bit of each, but some of our favorites. So the first is the first thing we're stopping. We're stopping resumes and we're stopping cover letters. So the current practice and tradition of resumes and cover letters really only reinforces preferences for whiteness and masculinity. It's about performing. You can just Google a resume format and a cover letter format, but it doesn't really tell us enough about the candidates that we're looking for. So we're inviting people to stop resumes and cover letters and start asking, what do we need to know and how can we learn it? Is it an online form? Is it an application? Is it 
recorded audio? Is it just a bullet point of the kinds of tasks a person has ever had to do for their job? Um, we've just found in the dozens and dozens of resumes and cover letters we've both looked at in our careers, they just don't give us the kind of information we need to know to actually make the choices. The next thing, and I think this is a really popular conversation right now, we're going to start posting salary ranges. Even if you're willing to go above or outside of that range, you can still say, we want to start the conversation in this particular range. It's just a waste of someone's time to not talk about salary from the very beginning. Three, 100%. Thank you. Like there have been some, we've had friends who've been like, this job seems awesome. We've gone through the whole interview process. And then they're like, oh, it would be a giant pay, like salary. Right. And it just oh, it's like, $40,000 less than I currently make. Oh, exactly. I didn't know that. And it's so frustrating when they won't tell you up front because it, it's, yeah, it just wastes so much time. Yeah. So I'm all 100% behind that. It's a big, it's a big push right now. And we're, we're happy to be a part of that large conversation that's happening in a lot of different corners. The next thing we're going to stop, we're going to stop degree requirements. Um, the truth is, for a bunch of jobs, the degree, the sort of undergraduate degree or the associate's degree or the GED that I have or the high school diploma that I have doesn't actually tell you anything about how ready I am to do the job that you need me for. There's absolutely some cases where some really specific sort of um, training or credentialing is necessary. And let's take me, for example, I have a four-year degree in journalism and public relations. That is not what I do. My degree maybe helped me be a better writer for this job that I do, but as an equity consultant, I do organizational development work. I'm an expert in organizational development and culture change. I do not have a degree in those things. So my degree really primarily tells you that I successfully was able to find the resources to attend a college, which is currently pay to play. So I have to find the money for it through loans, through federal grants. Maybe my family has some access to resources. And then I have to be able to navigate that educational experience and attain the degree. It doesn't tell you if I'm ready, willing, and able to do the job that's right in front of me, right? So we're gonna stop degree requirements, but what we're gonna start is actually what we call the readiness and value add tool. It's another resource. You can actually get all of the resources we're mentioning at hiringrevolutionbook.com. So buy the book and then you can use all these interactive resources on our website. The readiness and value add tool dispenses with the traditional, no, um, traditional notion of qualifications. And it says, what does someone need to be ready to do before they come through the door? So what is something we need them to, to have done before or be able to do? And then what are the perspectives, vantage points, or experiences we hope they have that adds value to our team? So rather than saying five years of experience, well, I don't really know what the difference between five years and seven years is, but what I can tell you is I need you to know how to manage a budget of $2 million, or I need you to, in each quarter, develop 10 new sales leads. So shifting from this old notion of qualifications and then talking about what are you ready to do? What are we willing to teach on the job? And then what do we think your value add would be to this team? I, I know I keep saying this after every question, but that is really awesome. And it is very revolutionary, especially the uh, the degree, like eliminating degree requirements. Although I think companies like Google and I think Twitter 
are already kind of moving that direction, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there are, there are some folks definitely out front on that. And again, this is a, just about recognizing that there's a lot of ways to learn something now. And so it's not about diminishing the value yeah. of college. It's about saying, if we're only fixating on how somebody learned and we're assuming we know a whole lot because of one experience where like, for me, that would have been over 20 years ago. Is <laughs> so, that idea too, right? A whole lot of um, modern research is saying that most of the skills in, um, I'm trying to figure out what to call them. I don't wanna say white collar in like computer jobs. <laughs> or like the information um, age, is that what we're in right now? Sure, sure, there's sure. In, there was be. the industrial evolution, I think we're in the information or like, yeah. Right, I know, that, know this. Um, <laughs> I know that people in Alfonso's family have called it like internet workers or desk workers. You're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So for those of us that have these kinds of jobs, the shelf life of, of skills is about five years. That's how fast technology is changing, right? So we think of the platforms that we use, you think of the kind of analysis, you think of where the human worker is adding value and being different than like AI. So the fact that most of us need to be continually building our skill set, it doesn't make sense to over index on something some of us got access to by the age of 22, right? It just, it just isn't the only relevant way to learn something. Yeah, and I also love the addressing the whole idea of, yeah, you need five years of experience. It's like, well, what what does that mean? Like, right. I could have just been at this company for five years, done a terrible job and learned nothing. But totally. <laughs> I could say I was at the company for five years and I have five years of experience at this company. But what was I doing there? I have no idea. But I have right. the experience. I can I can put that on my resume and say like, um, yeah, I have that experience. I love focusing on those right. like. The, the, what what you bring like can you do this like you right because we're conflating length of time with excellence or quality yeah and we're just making an assumption that one begets the other and exactly to your point it could be that somebody has managed a team of 15 before but they weren't good at it yeah but they have done it <laughs> right yeah exactly it's like well yeah just because i've done it or you can put on a resume that you've done it and not like either not done it well or you know be terrible or just be lying which is always my worst nightmare i don't get why people lie on resumes and say they have these skills and then you're gonna get found out anyways moving right along so let's say the hiring goes well what about onboarding and organizational culture which is really important how do these reinforce the revolution Ooh, yeah, you can really uh, mess it up at the end <laughs> or the beginning of somebody's tenure. So um, part three in our book is all about getting from making that decision of, you know, who you want to actually that person starting the job, right? Because hiring is just a beginning to what you hope is a retained um, expansive, useful relationship to both the person doing the work and the company who's getting the work done. And so for us, right, we can't have our hiring process be wildly out of step with how we are actually inviting people to be part of our teams. So when we think about folks getting started in the first 30 days, the first 100 days, um, Alfonso and I are really not big fans of 
keeping people in what we would call like tryout mode, right? So it's like, you're still proving, you're still showing, right? When the reality is you work here now. <laughs> so we all made our very best guess that this was gonna work out and this was gonna feel good. And different people really need different kinds of initial support to be successful. And rather than make guesses and assumptions and project what we would need or want in our first few days, weeks, or months, we really encourage you in part three of Hiring Revolution about asking with specificity precisely what that adult will need in order to be set up for success. That could be networking and relationship building. That could be access to sort of technology or capital. It could be continued training. And so again, don't be hazing people on the way into your organization. Don't operate from a stance of you better prove. Um, but our goal is that your hiring process will be so strong that you will feel super confident, right? And who you are bringing on. And, and the question we ask people to consider is, how are you willing to be changed? And what are you willing to do different because somebody new has joined your team? rather than sort of come at new people with an assimilationist strategy of like, hey, let me take you under my wing and show you how to like do well around here. Um, if we are hiring folks who are truly adding value to our team, something is gonna get different. And the different is designed to be better. It's designed to be additive, right? We look at the research and talk about the hiring revolution as both a business and moral imperative. It is better for business to have mixed teams if we leverage the mix. So don't dampen down the mix, say, okay, cool. Well, nobody's ever asked for that before. Or like, oh, wow, I, I didn't even think of that. Cool, how can I get you what it is you need to be successful? So again, operating from the stance of not protecting organizations from workers, setting up workers for success on behalf of the mission of the organization. So it's a it's sort of a mental paradigm shift. Yeah, but I kind of got it. It's like, you don't want just like, if you say you want a di you know, diverse team and you want to hire diverse people, you want them like you want to hire them theoretically for their diverse experiences and diverse thoughts and otherwise you'd just be like oh i just want another body to fill this spot right uh, right just, we always say this is not about like political correctness at all it's that you know research really shows that we're better at solving problems if we have different vantage points Right. But if you, me and Alfonso all were raised the exact same way in the same place at the same time, having the same lived experience at Target and at school and at the bank, um, you're, we're more likely as a team at work to get stuck in the same spot. Right. Because just other things don't occur to us. It's not that we're unintelligent. It's that we're all limited by our own lived experience. Right. And so the the larger the variety, the more innovative you can be if you allow people to bring that difference. Nice. So you're saying there's no 90 day probation period at Team Dynamics? Nope, because employment <laughs> is at will. And if you yeah. can't do the job in 90 days, okay, cool, yeah. right? So this idea that um, you're keeping people in this period. really, yeah, in this really stressful tryout period where if you take the stance of it is your job to set this new person up for success and you take that seriously rather than they better prove to me every which way that they care, um, you know, that's not what the current workforce is interested in, 
Um, yeah. The current workforce is not interested in being treated poorly or badly, right? That is not a place where folks are going to stay. And so um, I think it's a real, it's a real shift for people to stop being in that like protective and defensive stance and to rather like be in this really like stance of welcoming and hospitality, not just because nice is cute, but because it's going to make people more successful. So this is going to be the last question of this interview, which is so disappointing because it's been such a pleasure to have you both back and to talk to you, talk about your book and the great work you are doing and changing the um, hiring, the world of hiring and leading the hiring revolution. But I think it's a great, um, it's a great question and a great for you know, and someone, an individual um, who wants to be a part of the revolution. Um, what if I am the first or only person on my team that is inspired by the revolution right now? Oof. Um, so first of all, if that is you, you're not alone. We're here too. <laughs> so somebody might not be right with you in your organization or in your staff meeting, but you, I promise, are not by yourself. There is a lot of us who deeply believe that in our lifetime, there is a major forward movement we can make when it comes to equity and inequity in hiring. So towards the end of the book, we have a section about the responsibility of revolutionaries, right? And our assumption is people who pick up the book are picking it up and reading it because they really are catalyzed by the norm being out of whack with our values, right? And that when our impact doesn't match our intent, we want to do something differently. So if you are the only person, um, we wrote all of part one so that you could use it to make a case. You can literally turn the book around, hand it to a supervisor, walk into a meeting, have a highlighted or flagged page and say, hey, this is happening. Maybe we weren't aware of it, but now that we are, as we think about these enormous disparities in race and gender, let's be part of the solution, right? Let's not just be the folks who hang in back and wait for somebody else to do something better. This is really kind of the statements we've been making or the values we've been espousing. So let's live into this a little bit. So we've made sure to really give folks the evidence they need in a really digestible format so that folks who might be really new are able to take in the stats and the stories. And the second thing I would say is there are all of these activities that you can offer and do together in small and large groups so that it isn't just sort of you running a solo campaign. It's you saying, hey, I have these new tools as we're imagining this next job description. I've got some ideas of stuff to include, some stuff to cut, and some stuff to change. Do you want to go over this together? Right. So if you're in a hiring committee or if you're part of the talent acquisition or HR team, or if you're one of the people that gets an email asking for referrals for a particular role. So we've designed things that can be done in small groups until the groups get larger and larger. And then this becomes the new standard. So that's really our goal. Thank you so much for that, Trina. Alfonso, is there anything you would like to add? I just hope that folks are really just hearing the possibility. It, it can sound scary, it can sound big, but what we try to do is make it bite-sized. Like Trina said, there's 20 plus activities and resources. They're all on the website, hiringrevolutionbook.com. You can get a copy there, you can download all the resources. And we also wanna hear folks' stories. We wanna hear how you're 
piloting, testing things out, introducing these tools to your team. Awesome. Well, thank you both for coming back and happy birthday to both of you, you December babies. Thanks, Ben. It was fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Trina and Fonzo, for this wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more about the hiring revolution, visit their website at www.teendynamicsmn.com. New episodes of the Forum podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the local arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.